what a great day to be in God's house celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're tuning in online, we say welcome. Man, thank you so much for spending a little bit of your week with us here at Merge Church. Man, Cody's already said it, but 3 p.m., candlelight, carols, communion, a little less rock and roll, a little more traditional if that's your style, but we got something special planned. So come back and see us. I know, going to church twice in one day, I know, all right, I know, but it'll be worth it. So make plans to come back and be with us. We're wrapping up our series, Good Plans, today where we're looking at the Christmas story through some different lenses and seeing what God can speak to us today. I've learned in my life that change is rapid. Change happens at a pace today that it's never happened at before. You know, I remember when Kristen first became pregnant and, you know, people that had kids that were older, they always tell you like, hey, the days are long, but the years are fast. And you hear that repeatedly as you're raising kids. And it's honestly one of those things that you don't want to hear whenever you're in the thick of it with your kids, but it turns out that it's really true. I reached a new milestone as a father. My youngest son, Ben, he's six, and he got a new Hot Wheels track from his papa and Gigi for Christmas this year, and he put the entire thing together by himself. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Lord. He did all of it with his shirt on backwards. You win some, you lose some, but I realized in that moment that change is happening very quickly in his life. His abilities, his skill set, his experiences are accelerating the change that I as his father see in him. And the truth is change is something that each and every one of us has in our life, but it's something that many of us despise. We don't like the concept of change, but when you read the Christmas story and you study it, you think about it, you contemplate it, it's really a story of change. It's a king stepping down from his throne to expand his kingdom. Jesus had a change. Mary and Joseph, the earthly parents of Jesus, experienced great change. The shepherds experienced change. The wise men experienced change. Why? So that you and I could experience life-transforming change. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came, he lived, he died, and he rose again so that our lives could be transformed, not just for a moment, not just for a season, but for all eternity. The story of Christmas, the story of the gospel is a story of change. So I want us to all just in our head answer this. If I could change one thing about myself, it would be, and fill in the blank. When I wrote this, I thought of a whole list of changes. I mean, it was kind of an overwhelming experience for me in my life. I'm like, golly, there there, there are so many things that we would change. Now, here's the irony of the Christmas story being about change. We celebrate it during a season of planning. We've thought about the gifts we're going to give and the the wrapping paper we're going to use and when we're going to eat and where we're going to eat and what we're going to eat and how much we're going to eat. We've planned all of it out. And I've learned that change and plans are not best friends. And many of us despise change because it interrupts the plan that we have. And change is difficult because it comes in all different types. Some changes are voluntary. We like those the changes that we choose. But some changes 
we don't get a vote on. We don't like those very much. It would be easier in our minds if all change would announce its arrival well in advance. Give me a little bit of notice, a little bit of preparation time. Change comes in seasons. And we should be really good at change because we live in a place where we experience all seasons all the time. I don't know if I'm cold or hot, if I have allergies or the flu. I'm super confused right now. Change. We despise change, but when we look at the Christmas story, I believe that we can learn to embrace change. There's voluntary, some of it's involuntary. There's also good change. And there's bad change. But often what seems to be bad turns out to be good. Changing seasons is difficult because for many of us, there's like a dichotomy of change. We might be experiencing blessing at work and home's a wreck. We might be succeeding in our friendships but struggling with raising our kids. We might be blessed in our marriage but going to see our parents at the nursing home during this season. It's, change comes in all forms. The good and the bad change is, is well illustrated. How many of you had an AOL account? You had Instant Messenger. You had that old aim. Yeah. Listen, young people, y'all don't understand. See, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi is new. Back in my day, you had to ask your mom to get off the phone to get on the internet. I don't understand how it all worked. I, I, I just know you had to be like, Mom, listen, I, I, I got this boo I'm trying to holler at, and if I don't get on that aim real quick, somebody else is going to be there. I mean, you know, same problems but different experience. You had to ask your mom to get off, and th- then you had to endure this sound. Now, I don't know how you can invent the Internet and not figure out how to prevent me from having to listen to the sound of dial-up Internet. You young people, it sounded kind of like this. And then it would go through all of these reverberations as it was like literally dialing the Internet. How many of us are thankful for Wi-Fi? We actually like change. Change benefits our life, but we struggle with it because it comes in all different categories. Voluntary, involuntary, good and bad. How about big change versus small change? But when you experience a little bit of life, what you learn is that small change can often have a big impact. Autocorrect will teach you this. A few weeks back, I was trying to type butch. Just one letter got swapped in the old autocorrect. That's hard to walk back as a pastor, you know? Thank God you can edit text messages now. You're just wondering, did they read it? I don't know. Did they read it yet? Do I have to explain it? I, like, what, where do I go from here? It's just a small change, but it had a big impact. There's permanent change, and there's temporary change. There's change that happens right now, and there's change that happens happens someday. There's hard change and there is easy change. 
And one of the hard changes that we see illustrated in this passage is the literal change of having a child and how transformative that is to your life. It is hard. But as I ask you what is the one thing you would change about yourself, I want to highlight this truth for myself, for all of us. Most of us are more excited about changing our situations than ourselves. We're more excited about changing the circumstances around us, but the greatest change that God wants to make is in us. This is the story of Christmas, that a king stepped down from his throne, so kingdom came, so that kingdom could dwell in me, so that kingdom could flow through me. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings change from the inside out. And as we've looked at the story of Mary and Joseph, what I recognize is that they experienced hard change, big change, permanent change, right now immediate change, and that change changed eternity. For you, for me, for all of mankind. We see it in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. It says this, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in his mind, everybody say mind, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. I want to pause here. Let's set the stage. Mary and Joseph are a couple of young people whose families have decided that they are going to get married. Now, that ceremony hasn't happened yet, so you might read this and go, then, then why are we talking about divorce if they aren't even married yet? They are betrothed to be married. There's an initial covenant that is made, and they are in a period of courtship where they are intentionally marching toward their wedding day. So for Joseph to break up, he had to do more than just ghost her. There was was a process he had to go through, and so he is considering divorcing Mary quietly. Why? Because Mary has received a message from an angel that says, hey, Mary, listen, you're going to be pregnant before you get married, but it's all going to be okay because this is God's son that you're going to give birth to. And Mary tells Joe, and Joe's like, that's a lot of change. And I'm not sure that I'm ready. So he had it in his mind that he would divorce her quietly. Then in verse 20. But after Joseph had considered, everybody say considered. After Joseph had considered this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day in which we can gather to celebrate the transformative power, the transformative changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you. For sending your one and only Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but will receive everlasting life. Lord, we celebrate you in this place today. And we say it all in the precious and powerful and mighty name of Jesus. And everybody in the house said a great big. 
first thought that will help us embrace change in our life is simply this. God will change your mind to change your life. Joseph had it in his mind that he would divorce Mary quietly. This scripture says after he had considered this, after he had contemplated this, God spoke to him. We studied last week that from Paul's writing to the church in Philippi that we are to take all of our worries, stresses, anxieties to God. We're to have a conversation with him. Why? Because that puts it on our mind and gives us opportunity to consider the situation that we're in. And as we do this, God speaks to us. We want God to speak to us about things we've never considered. We want God to speak to us about things we've never contemplated, things that we've never set our mind to, but God speaks to us whenever we begin to consider things, and he will change your mind to change your life. As Joseph is considering his options and weighing what it is that he might do, God changes his mind, speaking to him through an angel and saying, no, man, it's okay. This is part of your journey. This is part of your plan. Before Joseph could step into his calling, Joseph had to accept what God allowed. It can be hard to accept the changes in our life. It's so much easier to make changes and accept them when we orchestrate them and we are in charge of them. But when something beyond our ability changes, we have a difficult time accepting it. God had to change Joseph's mind so Joseph could accept the change and have a changed life. I wonder if in this season your life would be better if you would accept the change. The change that you're struggling with, that you're fighting. The change that maybe you wish you could undo or that you want to be in control of. If you simply accepted it and said, God, I trust you even though I don't like it. And God, I believe that your hand is working in all things. And as you work in all things, it is for the good plans that you have for those that believe in you. And as you make that consideration, God will often change your mind to change your life. Have any sushi lovers in the house? Raise your hand. We're going to publicly shame you. I just don't get it. I mean, I don't understand it, you know? It's hard to grow up in Uniontown and like sushi. But a few years back, my, my wife Kristen and I, we were going on a trip to Atlanta, and so I'm studying the best places to eat in Atlanta and trying to decide where it is that we will want to go while we're on this trip. And I found a New York Times article, an entire article written about a sushi restaurant in Atlanta. Now, this caused me to pause because if, if a journalist for the New York Times was so enthralled with the sushi restaurant in Atlanta that he or she took the time to write an entire article about it, I think it might be worth a visit. You know, I mean, someone in New York writing about a sushi restaurant in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I go to make a reservation. I'm like eight weeks out, and the only reservation I can get is like a Wednesday at 3.30. It's going to be legit, you know. 
So this is a place where you had to like order this specific dessert on the day that you made your reservation because they only made so many of them. And so I do all of this and we go and we sit down and we order all kinds of sushi. And, and I, I will say that it, it took a long time for, for me to change my mind about sushi. But in this moment, my mind was changed. I considered whether or not I was actually going to eat all of this stuff that was brought out. But as I began to eat it, I began to have an experience with my wife that I would have never had if I wouldn't have considered it and allowed the writings of this journalist to change my mind. You know what happens when you dive into the writings of God which are found in his word? It begins to change your mind and you begin to consider things differently and you gain a new perspective and you accept the change and step into a life that you otherwise would have never had an opportunity to step into. It's the story of the gospel. It's the story of Christmas. Change comes in our mind and as we consider it, God often speaks to us changing our life. But change is still difficult because change interrupts. Change interrupts my life, my plan, my time, my ambition, my pride, my relationships. Change is an agent of interruption. So many of us despise change because we don't want anything about our preferences, our ideas to be interrupted. But an interruption is often an invitation. We see it illustrated in Luke chapter 2, picking up at verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. I want to pause here for just a second. There's a census being taken. This is pre-internet days, pre-mail being available. And so you had to literally travel back to your hometown. And so Mary and Joseph are traveling to Bethlehem. And as we're going to learn here in just a minute, Jesus ends up being born in Bethlehem, which is fulfillment of all kinds of prophecy, illustrating that he is, in fact, the Savior, the Messiah of the world. But I want you to recognize the significance of this interruption. Like Mary and Joseph's life has been completely interrupted by the change in the fact that like, hey, we're just trying to figure life out and we're going to get married soon and we're working on that. And then an angel shows up and is like, Mary, you're going to be pregnant and, and it's going to be before you get married. And Joe's like, man, I don't know. I got a mind to just go ahead and move on because I'm not sure I can accept that level of interruption to my life. I got plans. I got dreams. I got ambitions. I got things to do. I'm not sure that I'm ready for all of this. And then as Mary is about to give birth, meaning what? Meaning that she's like full-term pregnant here, right? Not like a few weeks. Like, 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 I mean, she's like ready to give birth. They get noticed that, oh, hey, by the way, you have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. There are no cars. 
No trains, no planes, no automobiles. I mean, th- this is old school walking and donkey riding. Now, I can only imagine being about 10 months pregnant, and Joe walks in, and he's like, hey, boo, listen, we got to go be counted for the census, so I'm going to put you on this donkey, and we're going to ride on into town. It's going to be a real fun road trip. I imagine Mary feeling like this is a pretty big interruption to her life. Now, listen, maybe Mary was just the most cheerful human being that the world had ever known. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. And I I shouldn't admit this. I shouldn't admit this because some of you, you, you're going to get mad when I say it. But I kind of feel for Joe, too, you know? I mean, I don't imagine like this was like the most joyful journey to Bethlehem. I don't think they're like skipping and singing like, you know, Christmas carols along the way. This is a massive interruption. But it's also an invitation because the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem of the line of David. It's not just an interruption, it's an invitation. Let's keep reading though. It says, while they were there. The time came for the baby to be born, and Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So Mary's engagement has now been interrupted. Joseph's engagement has now been interrupted. God has had to speak to both of them. He's had to change Joseph's mind. They're trying to figure it all out. Then they get interrupted by this journey of this census. And then while they are there, not at home, not your doctor, not your bed, not your hospital, not your place, she gives birth to this child. And we get pictured in our head this very like, traditional barn that Mary gives birth to Jesus in, like red with white trim, and it's wooden, and there's stables, and there's like hay on the floor, and everybody's just kind of hanging out. But when you really study geographically, historically, what was going on at the time, it's far more likely that Jesus was born in a cave-like dwelling. There's very little wood in this area of the world. So the the shepherds would take care of their livestock and get them out of the weather by placing them in the natural enclaves that would occur in the side of a cliff or in a mountain. And so I, I just picture Mary in all of the frustration and all of the interruption. And I, I picture Joe just, just, man, I didn't get any of this right. We don't even have a room to stay in. And we're giving birth to a child. Like this is baptism by fire going on here, full of massive change and interruption. And then the scripture says that Mary wrapped Jesus in cloths. Have you ever wondered like, where'd the cloths come from? It's not their house. It's not their town. It's not their place. It's not their people. They're living in the midst of an interruption. And then as you begin to study it, what you find 
is that the shepherds would take their baby lambs and they would place them inside of these caves and they would wrap their legs with cloths so that their legs wouldn't become nicked because they wanted a rabbi to come in and declare that their lamb was in fact spotless and worthy of a Passover sacrifice. So when Mary is wrapping baby Jesus up in cloths, she's literally wrapping the lamb of God, the final Passover sacrifice in the cloth that God had provided her with. It wasn't an interruption. It was an invitation to Bethlehem, to that cave, to those cloths, to mark that Jesus Christ is in fact the final Passover lamb. Why? Because God has good plans for you and for me. See, God put provision on the path of interruption. And if I stay in my zone, my place, my comfort, I don't always see the miraculous. Sometimes God has to interrupt the normal broadcast to let me know something big is happening. What seemed like an interruption for their lives was in fact an invitation. Not just for Mary and Joseph, but for you and for me. For each and every one of us to live transformed, changed lives through the power and the bloodshed and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And change can be so hard because we feel unsure in the midst of change. We wonder if we'll have enough. And we, under, we wonder what it is that we're lacking. What kind of mess might we be stepping into? I remember being 16, 17 years old. I'm at the lake with my uncle and my friends, which is just an absolute recipe for disaster. And our, our Bayliner boat breaks down in, in the middle of the lake. And, you know, you're like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. But we weren't too worried about it because we also had a jet ski. So we're like, you know, minor interruption. The Bayliner broke down, but don't worry. There's a jet ski. Now, you know the one guy in your group of friends? You know the guy? Like Murphy's Law follows him. Like if, if something bad can happen, he is always a part of it. Well, that's the guy on the jet ski. So as he's pulling up, to get us, he drives over the rope that we have tied to the boat that we intend for him to pull us with, sucking said rope into the impeller of the jet ski. So now we got a broke down boat and a broke down jet ski, and we're still in the middle of the lake, and it feels like a really big interruption at this point in time, but don't worry, we're young, we're brilliant. So we get some paddles out, and they start paddling the boat, and a couple of us jump out, and we swim to the shore, and we go, and we get the truck and the trailer. Now, there's no way they're going to paddle the Bayliner boat that's now towing the broke-down jet ski all the way to the boat ramp, but we think, hey, no worries. We'll just back this boat trailer down wherever we want because we're geniuses. And we get the truck stuck. So now we got a broke down boat, interruption. A broke down jet ski, interruption. Now we got the truck stuck. Now I'm worried. Before I'm like, we're okay, we'll still make it home. Now I'm getting a little bit concerned. So I start looking around and I see, you know, that one guy that's always at the lake with the apocalypse looking Jeep? 
He got like the 17 extra gas cans and like the tires bigger than you are. You know what I mean? I see that guy. And so I start waving. I'm like, no, 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 no. We need you, brother. And I never got his name, but I can still remember the face of that hero that pulled that truck up out of that mess with the broke down boat and the broke down jet ski on it. Here's the point. When your life feels interrupted, I want you to pause and I want you to look for the provision. Because in the chaos of the change, we often fail to look for the cloth that's in the cave. But as we reach that breaking point of interruption and change, you better believe I started looking for some provision. And I started waving that guy down like the dude trying to get on the jumbotron at the Cowboys football game. I was giving it all I had. An interruption is often an invitation. And God's provision is found on the path of interruption. And I want you to see this. Interruption may be getting you ready for God's disruption. Mary and Joseph are interrupted by the senses, but they're disrupted by the birth of their firstborn son. Now we hear this word disruption and we automatically assume that that's a word with negative connotation, that there's something bad. Can I tell you, having kids for the first time is disruptive. I mean, kids disrupt your life. But I love my kids with all that I have. Disruption is not always a bad thing. Disruption sometimes is a God-sized good thing in our life. And when you have kids, what you learn is that, like, for the next what seems like forever, all you'll hear is, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, hey, Dad. I didn't know kids had so many tricks. I mean, they got tricks for days. This interruption is getting Mary and Joseph ready for a disruption of what's to come in their life and putting them in the exact place that God wants them to be for this disruption that is coming their way. God will often interrupt your plan to disrupt your hopelessness. God will interrupt your schedule to disrupt your misplaced focus. God will interrupt your journey to disrupt your broken destination. God will interrupt your stale marriage to disrupt your path to divorce. God will interrupt your life of sin to disrupt your eternal destination to introduce you to the Savior of the world. Why? Because he has good plans. And sometimes they involve change. Mary hears from this angel, and I imagine this being a scary moment, full of big change, hard change, permanent change, change that she didn't get a vote on. And I imagine her life feeling extremely interrupted. But in the interruption, she gives birth to a new baby boy. Because change births something new. For Mary, it's a literal birth for you. I wonder if God wants to change something in you to birth something new during this season. Something more, something greater, a calling, a dream, a small step of faith. The Christmas story represents that anything is possible and that God has good plans for your life. The song that we've been singing, Good Plan, says, For I know my Father. I know my Father. 
So I know he has good plans. And maybe you came in this room today, maybe you're watching online today, and you're just at this place where you just don't really believe that God has good plans for your life, and you're not sure how it is that you could ever really trust Him. Can I tell you that you trust in the present because of the past? My kids trust me not because of what I've done today, but because of what I did yesterday. And the days before that, and the weeks, and the months, and the years, I trust my mom and dad. I trust my father. Not because of what he's done today, but because of what he's done for 37 years. I trust in the present because of the past. So I trust that the Father has good plans for my life, even in the midst of change, even in the midst of interruption. Why? Because I know his past, and his past says that he sent his son, a king, to expand his kingdom. Why? So kingdom could come in me. Right where I am, because where I am matters. So that kingdom could flow through me doing what I'm already doing. Why? Because what I do matters. The story of Christmas is a story of change, but it's a story that we can trust. God, in the midst of change, knowing that He has good plans for our lives. Heavenly Father, we love You. We praise You. We thank You. We glorify You and we magnify You your name in this place. God, I pray that you would just, in this moment of reflection, that you would speak to us fresh and new, that you would reveal to us the next step in your good plans and that you would give us faith and obedience to take that next step. And heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you're in the room or maybe you're watching online and you would say, you know, I've never trusted God with my forever. I've never really believed that Jesus Christ is the Savior of my life. I never recognized that God wants to change me from the inside out and that that change isn't momentary, it is eternal. If that's you, I just want to give you an opportunity to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord, and in doing so, I can tell you, it won't just change you for a moment. It will change you for all eternity. So let's all say this prayer out loud and proud and together because there's no shame or condemnation in this place. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your Son to die for my sins. Today, I acknowledge that Jesus is my Savior. We say it all in the precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said a great big.